is Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today from my tiny apartment in San Francisco, and my guest joining us is Terry Denver. Hi, oh, Terry. Hi, Tatiana. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. <laughs> good. A bit wet from the rain, but good. <laughs> Thanks so much for braving the rain to come uh, hang out with us today. Terry is a VP of global sales at a tech company and focuses on anti-piracy and has worked with many major media and tech companies in the media space over the years. For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today we're enjoying winter pear and manchenko salad. So Terry, can you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? Yeah, sure. So currently, as you said, I'm vice president of global sales for for a tech company in San Francisco. Actually, they're a global company. I just quit. So I quit. So I will no longer be doing that job uh, as from next week. I quit at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. So my last day is on Monday. But prior to that, my career is kind of followed if you think about media and how you consume media going from packaged media as it once was many years ago VHS and DVD CD etc or vinyl before that my career has followed the path of how we consume content so the digital curve of how consumers consume content that's kind of how my career has followed I started off in the music business, uh, record business, believe it or not. I won't say when, but I did start my life in the music business. And then very quickly after being in the music business, I progressed to working for um, Sony Pictures, where I was a sales manager of of 12 salespeople. That's where my kind of sales leadership and my journey began Mm -hmm. on, like I said, following this trajectory of digital media. Uh, I worked for Disney and then from that, I kind of worked for tech companies in the media and entertainment space. Obviously in Europe, where I started out in London, and then uh, I came to the States 14 years ago. Wow. So I that kind of makes sense to me that you, you've you kind of, your, your path, I guess, you started working for the companies that you now sell to. Um, because Absolutely. yeah, because you're um, an expert in those areas, so you, you can kind of speak the same language. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it helps because that gives you an understanding of how content is made, how it's distributed, the challenges that those content owners have, especially around well, especially around piracy, of course, and how protective they are of that content. But mm-hmm. the challenges that it and the hurdles that they have in order to get, whether it be a movie or a TV show or a piece of software or a book or whatever it is out there to the consumers um so that does help yes enormously and of course my love and my passion for music and and film and tv you know you have mm-hmm. to love it i think mm-hmm. to do what i do yeah absolutely so when was the moment that you felt that you broke into your industry or role gosh well i guess the role that i have now um being being a, a leader of people, I started off pretty young, actually. I, uh, Sony Pictures, where it started, I was 27, 28 years old. And most of the salespeople that I, that I was responsible, that reported into me, were, were a lot older than me. But honestly, I don't think I've really hit my stride until 
my um, probably my full early 40s I think mm-hmm. it's when I really hit my stride I think it you know you learn and you progress as you go through those those years and you never stop learning by the way um, you should never stop learning but I think I don't may, I actually think honestly I don't feel like I've reached my peak I think my best is yet to come that's awesome. <laughs> How's that for an answer? Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I think it's, there's, there's definitely like peaks, but I think also, yeah. um, it's interesting to figure out when people, like, is when people feel really comfortable in their role, like, this is what I do, like, I'm respected in my field. Do you feel like for you there was a moment, though, where you... Maybe it was when you started managing people at um, Sony? Yeah, absolutely it was. Yeah, Yeah. I thought I was the luckiest person on this planet. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I loved films. I still do. I love movies. Mm -hmm. And there I was working for a major studio, selling film. And what what could I possibly want more? I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a the happiest person on the planet. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. It was right. hard, but yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to answer your question, I think there are stages. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, that was one. Most, most definitely it was a very significant time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably hit another one of those when I was at a company called Macrovision, now TiVo, mm-hmm. um, based in, in Santa Clara. I think I hit another, another peak there as well where I was managing a team in North America. So I think you have different ones and they all and they all have a different color mm-hmm. they all feel differently they the experience is similar but it's also very very different yeah and you know I think I'll probably hit another one absolutely mm-hmm. I hope so anyway yeah <laughs> otherwise leaving my job is a big mistake <laughs> and I'm in trouble oh, no. well um along your along your journey did you have a mentor and then do you feel like you're a mentor now to others I've had a few, actually, and I'm not sure if some of them knew that they were mentoring me at the time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my first one, I guess, again, was at, was at Sony Pictures, um, was my boss. I don't think he thought he was mentoring me, but he kind of did. It was tough love, most definitely. And he uh, was a huge influence on my life. And, and actually, without him, I don't think I, I would be in my career where I am today, honestly. Um, he gave me opportunities. Again, I'm not sure if he knew what he did, that, that no other woman actually had in, within a huge organisation like that. So for, for, him, for me, that was my first one. And I, I think I've probably had about two others since then mm-hmm. uh, that have helped me and mentored me and you know, really kind of pushed me and challenged me along the way. Mm-hmm. And do I mentor? Yes, I have mentored people. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. A couple, actually, uh, not just salespeople either. People outside of my organisation, I've mentored mm-hmm. as well. Actually, one of my sales guys, Ricardo, who's based in London, he's a Brazilian. I used to give him little tidbits every now and again on on how to overcome a certain challenge or how to approach a certain situation. And on, on one on one of these instances, on one of our one to ones, he turned around and said to me, "He said, uh, thank you so much. I think you've just saved me five years of my life." <laughs> Which I probably have, right? uh-huh. but maybe that's true. I don't know, but it, mm-hmm. it, it, now it's up to him to use that how he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I love mentoring as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I think pay it forward. I think I have that on my resume and on my LinkedIn. Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm a big, okay. I'm a big pay it forward person. Uh-huh. That's great. So what has been your biggest obstacle so far slash shittiest moment? Obstacle, I, I honestly would say... Gosh, and 
I don't want this to sound negative, but being a woman in a leadership role hasn't been, hasn't, I want to say it hasn't been easy, but it's been challenging and it's been tough to get there. That's the first thing. Um, not so much these days, I and mean, it still is, but mm-hmm. you know, in my earlier, when I was younger, it was, it was tough. And keeping it there, staying there, being paid equally, which I'm still not, by the way, um, equal pay. I still can't believe I have those conversations, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a big fighter of that. Uh, even at so many pictures in my in my twenties, I would constantly ask to be paid the same as my male counterpart. So those those are continuous things. I mean, they keep mm-hmm. going on. Um, <laughs> it just sounds like there are many. <laughs> there have been many that you've overcome. Um, I've been fired twice. Uh, I was fired. Actually, this isn't shit. I'm quite proud of this. I was fired from Disney which I'm actually quite proud about because that was, you know, working for one of the biggest organisations on the planet. I was fired because I didn't believe in their ethics and the way that they went about things back then. Maybe they've changed now. If you question something or you want to say, but why would I do that? They just say it's the Disney way. Gosh, mm-hmm. I hope there's no one working for Disney on this who listens to your <laughs> podcast because I've just... <laughs> yeah. You know, having said that, the Disney training is, was second to none, and okay. <laughs> I will say that. But uh-huh. yeah, I was let go from Disney because I, I guess I, I I went against the grain a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that was tough. Bouncing back from that was was tough. And actually, the lesson that I learned from that was, you know, I had a bit of a bit of a sales ego back then, and that was quickly knocked out of me at that stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. that what was your biggest opportunity slash best moment one of my best moments believe it or not was coming to the states actually it was making that decision to to leave the united kingdom and come to the states and and essentially start my life again which is what i did Mm -hmm. i didn't know anybody here you know i had nothing i'd start from from scratch and i did that when i was 40 so it's not you know it's not old but it's not young either mm-hmm. so that was probably one of my greatest achievements and pull it off I mean I, there were so many times where I said screw this I'm going home because that's it's just too tough you know mm-hmm. it's tough making friends again you know really sort of pushing a big reset and starting your life again it was was mm-hmm. was hard I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I I carried on with that and persevered and pushed through the hard times yeah. Probably one of the loneliest times I've ever had in my life when I made that jump. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I'm I'm glad I persevered because it has has given me more of a worldly view on life. Opened the door, so opened so many doors mm-hmm. actually, so many doors that would never have been been open to me before, never. Yeah. And I think it's made me more of a, a rounded person. I'm a very lucky. A woman to have the opportunities that I've had come my way and, I, and again those wouldn't have happened if I hadn't made that jump and come to, to the US mm-hmm. and put up with all you Americans because <laughs> you're uh-huh. quite challenging at and time. our American cheese yeah <laughs> which is awful it is anyway. so when you decided to move to the United States did you have a job lined up already or did you just kind yeah. of move here and figure it out no I had um I was transferred with my with my, my job it's a company I said it was macrovision and now called oh, okay TiVo yeah mm-hmm. so no they they the story was they offered me promotion to head up North America sales for independent studios 
And I said, great, that's that's wonderful. And and my then boss said, there's a bit of a there's a catch. So and the catch is is the well, actually what I didn't say wonderful to start off with. I said, let me go and think about it and talk to my family first. Mm-hmm. But he said, well, there's like, the catch is is that I need you there in six weeks. And I said, well. Well, okay, so I've moved my whole life in six weeks and moved to the South Bay. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I knew at that point what I was going to do. I just wanted to slow things down a little bit. And there was a window of opportunity in my life where, you know, I was single, I was in a relationship, I, I own a house, and I still own that house in the UK. And I thought, you know, do it. So, yeah, I, I did. I had mm-hmm. a, I was promoted with my company. They bought me out on a... I had to I had to commute back and forth a little bit in the beginning because because of immigration law back then with the US it was just an easier way to do it it looked mm-hmm. like I hadn't just come here without a work permit or anything um, and then I got an L1 visa and then literally 10 months you know I after my L1 visa for a year I applied for my green card my company sponsored me and 10 months later I was a green card mm-hmm. happened very quickly yeah. That's an interesting experience going through all of that. That really is, Mm -hmm. really is a very interesting experience. I think it's different now, but at the time, it's a very, it's a very interesting experience. Even down to your medical, you have to have a full medical. Mm -hmm. Um, If you if you can't prove that you had all your shots when you were a kid, which obviously I can't because. You know, that was a long time ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Then you have them all again in one day. Oh my gosh! The whole lot. I mean, literally everything. Mm-hmm. It sounds like like an intense process. Yeah, it is an intense pro- process, and they they are back. Like I say back then, they would mm-hmm. ask you lots of questions, and then they come back and ask the questions again. Mm-hmm. The biometrics test, which they keep the results to themselves. They don't tell you. They they send them off to the government. You don't know the results wow. until you kind of got the thumbs up. So um, mm-hmm. that was an interesting process. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was transferred to my job. Okay, got it. Well, on this show, I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents. So things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work-related. So we know that you are very into photography, which I recently discovered on Instagram. Yes. (laughs) So have you been, um, I guess, pursuing this hobby for a long time? On and off for a long time, yes. Mm you know, I always wanted to be an artist, actually, rather than in business or sales. Mm-hmm. And I dropped out of, I didn't, I kind of got accepted to art school. I didn't go when I was 16 because my parents got divorced. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just work then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I left my art life behind when I was 16 years old and, and went off and worked um, in a bank when I was 16. Actually, on my 16th birthday. So I don't have a college degree. I never went to college. Oh wow! No, I left. I didn't know that. Yeah, I left <laughs> high school on a Wednesday. When I was fifteen, and the next day was Thursday. I turned sixteen. I started work, mm-hmm. and I worked in a in, a, in the banking system, uh, financial financial world, up until I was twenty. Wow. Yeah. So, but I always wanted to be an artist. So I gave it up, mm-hmm. and I kept coming back to it, coming back to it over my during my life. And I don't know, I think you, for me anyway, I have to have, I clearly separate my work life, my business life, my professional life, and my art. And mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to separate separate those two and do them at the same time. Doing simultaneously I find mm. really difficult. So okay. switching from business to art I find very, very, very hard. And 
as I've got, I guess as I got older, I've, I've made a very conscious effort to delve back into my uh, my art world, my world of art through photography, mm-hmm. and that's where I found my voice again as yeah. an artist. So yeah, I've been I've been doing that for the last kind of ten years or so, trying to find that voice again that I had when I was sixteen, mm-hmm. pick it back up again. Yeah, and photography's been my medium to 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 do that and express myself in 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 a in a way that hopefully it's different i hope you know i think if you look at my stuff you can see you can see me in them a little bit you know mm-hmm. i hope people that know me say that they can mm-hmm. um but yeah it's something which now i really i really make an effort like before i came mm-hmm. here i walked around in the rain taking pictures around um up Fillmore and stuff and mm-hmm. trying to take you know street photography and and try to take those moments when I can, when I can just jump into it and yeah. try and create, get one of those special pictures. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And as a very amateur photographer myself, which I haven't picked up my camera in a long time, but I, I do, I, I see how walking around and just kind of like taking photos and trying to, I don't know, just it, it's a very like meditative. Kind of practice to like look at your normal surroundings from like a different lens to use a camera pun. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. I find it almost. You said meditative. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is. I kind of go into a bit of a trance. Mm -hmm. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I'm off somewhere else. Yeah, you know, it. It's and I find it very peaceful. Mm -hmm. What that place I find extremely peaceful. It, it. The way I describe it is. I'll tell you, I, I was just on a workshop in India in November, photography workshop in India for two weeks. And the instructor, people should follow him, by the way, he's on Instagram. His name's Vineet Boyer, um, incredible artist, Indian artist, mm-hmm. uh, street photographer. And he went round the workshop, there's about nine of us, and he said, he asked why each one of us was here. And they come out with some technical things, I want to improve my you know, using light, using shadow, or editing on the road, those sorts of things. And he mm-hmm. got to me, he said, why, you know, why, why are you here? And I said, well, um, I, I want to feed my soul, mm-hmm. um, because that's what it does. That's how it makes me feel. It mm-hmm. feeds a part of me that I can't, I, ca- I can't get that from work. I can't get that from being in sales. Mm-hmm. I'm creative in my work, and I try to be, mm-hmm. but that's the bit that's missing. Yeah. And so when I don't, when I'm not photographing, when I'm not doing that, there's something very, very, very big missing in my life, mm-hmm. and it's feeding my soul. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to now dive into the listener question portion of the episode. Oh God, what? Oh God. <laughs> Don't be scared. (laughs) Your fans have questions for you. (laughs) So we have a handful of questions. So I'll start with the first one. What is the greatest piece of sales advice you have received or have given someone else? Um, What I would give is you have two ears and you have one mouth. You have two ears and one mouth. Listen. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this old thing about salespeople. People think, oh, you've got to have a gift of the gab. You've got to be a great, great talking. No, 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 no. You have to be good at listening. Mm -hmm. You have to be good at listening. You know, if if you're talking too much, you're not listening. 
I think that's a great bit of advice for budding politicians as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> stop talking. It, yeah, it just makes me think of, yeah, because sales is kind of an emotional business. And it makes me think of just a couple days ago, I was at a credit union event and there was a former congressman from Texas there. And I met him right when I walked in. And an hour later, he came up to me. He's like, so Tatiana, like, where does your name come from? And so he, like, asked me all these questions. And I was mostly just shocked that he remembered my name. Right. And it made me feel really special. And I was like, I kind of like this guy, even yeah. though he's a Republican. <laughs> but <laughs> then you walked away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that, yeah, I think that's 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 really great advice. Yeah, listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, listening. I would say To Sell is Human is actually a book by Daniel Pink. So if you want to, you don't have to be a salesperson to read that book. Mm -hmm. Um, To Sell is Human. You know, we're human beings. People buy from people. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do. And and I'll give you an example of that. Um, A couple of years ago, I was buying a new car and I went from one Land Rover garage, I forget where it was, uh, anyway, one Land Rover garage in one town. And I knew the car I wanted to buy, I had the money. Um, so I want to go in, I want to buy this car, so I knew, and I spoke to the sales guy, and, and then his manager was, was just awful, was very rude and obnoxious, and, okay, thanks guys, went to Walnut Creek, Land Rover garage, walked in, same thing, I knew what car I wanted, I had the money, and completely different experience. Mm. You know, I, I bought the car from this guy, his name was Tom, I remember his name, his name was Tom Ford, I still remember his name. <laughs> Some bit of an unforgettable name, yeah. but that was his name, Tom Ford. <laughs> Tom, funny. a really lovely guy. So I bought the car from him. People uh-huh. buy from people to mm-hmm. sell as human. Mm-hmm. And then one piece of advice that was given to me that I'd forgotten, actually, my current boss um, gave me this advice, was good salespeople are never seen. So in other mm-hmm. words, you know, think about how you are being, how you would like to be sold to. You're mm-hmm. out in the market and you're looking for something. The last thing you want to experience is someone's pushy, you know, pushy, pushy, mm-hmm. pushy, pushy. What you, even though you know you're buying, and you're sell, you're you're going to buy something, and you know that they're selling to you, you don't want to feel that. Mm-hmm. You don't want to feel that. So a good yeah. salesperson should never be, never be seen. You should mm-hmm. you should be very smooth with it, and again, listening. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I think they're just a human qualities, not just sales qualities, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, would you consider yourself um, an introvert or an extrovert? And do you think that impacts someone having a successful sales career? Oh, I'm absolutely an introvert. That's what I thought. Yeah. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolute to the extreme, actually. Uh, and to the point where if I'm in a very social environment or after a big trip, I go traveling, you know, I go traveling a lot internationally. Mm-hmm. When I come home, I, I I cannot be spoken to or no, I don't want to speak to anybody for at least 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have like a, an extreme amount of downtime, alone time. Mm-hmm. So I'm an extreme ex- uh, introvert. Does, does it hinder in sales? No. The best salespeople are introverts. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And that, that goes back to your, um, your theory or your, you know, your comments about listening. <laughs> yeah. Listening. And so, yeah. I, I feel like introverts are probably maybe better than uh, at that than extroverts who are just maybe like I don't know that's stereotyping like I just imagine they want to say more and introverts are, are better at listening. Yeah, and and again when you're in a um, in a sales situation, a meeting, mm-hmm. yeah, it's your ears, but it's also your eyes and the way that you interact with those with that person or those people in that mm-hmm. room, right? Yeah, 
you know, it's, again, I think that it... No, being an introvert, no, I don't think so. It gives you... I'm not just saying that because I'm an introvert, but it gives you um, a skill set, a soft skill set, mm-hmm. a soft skill set. That doesn't mean to say that you're that you're a pushover or that you're not a hunter, that you won't go out and generate new business. No, that's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. It just gives you a, a, a skill set that's a little bit softer, mm-hmm. that allows you to be able to interact with people a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the I next- couldn't be an extrovert to save my life. <laughs> Same. Unless, unless yeah. yeah, no, not even if I was drunk. I was just gonna say if I was, I had a few drinks, but no, even mm-hmm. after a few drinks. I mean, I so do it. people are usually, I don't know why, but they're usually surprised when I tell them I'm an introvert. But it's because like they, it's like friends who already know me, yeah. but like around people I don't know, I'm not as chatty. I get. I think it's because well, a because I'm an introvert, but b because I'm an observer. So, <laughs> like, I just don't dive into chatting with you know, anybody. Yeah. But yeah, I think there are a lot of, they talk about like extroverted introverts. And I think that's definitely me when I'm drinking wine. (laughs) Isn't there, isn't there one in the middle? There's something, I can't remember the name. Mm -hmm. I can't either. Yeah. There's something in the Mm -hmm. middle, a blend between those two. Yeah. You're probably that. Maybe. When you're drinking wine. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the next question we have is, do you have any funny or weird sales stories that you can talk about or awkward moments with interesting personalities? Um, there was one interesting, yeah, there's one interesting sales, bad sales experience. Let me come back to that one. But there's Mm -hmm. one interesting encounter that I had. Um, actually, this is a nice story. So when I worked for Sony Pictures, we would get to go to a lot of sort of screenings, pre-screenings, mm. also celebrity screenings as well, um, or and royal and royal openings as well. So there's quite a lot of screenings that I went to. But there was one in particular which stood out, and I tell this story mm-hmm. because most celebrities, most film stars, are you know they they are aloof. They don't really want to interact with you at all when you go to these screenings. They just mm-hmm. you know, you're part of you're part of the production of it all and you're not really very interesting. Anyway, so the the film called Zorro, which was with Anthony Banderas mm-hmm. uh, and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones was also in that Catherine movie. Zeta-Jones <laughs> was in that yeah. film as well. Right, uh-huh. exactly. So we had a, a staff pre-screening. It actually wasn't finished editing and this was at BAFTA offices in Piccadilly in London. Mm-hmm. So we went in and we watched what was of the film and then afterwards there was... Uh, very English there was tea and biscuits and cakes and stuff like that reception mm-hmm. so we were standing there having our tea and cakes and stuff and I was standing holding my cup of tea my saucer and my cup of tea and I didn't know but the they the stars came in so the Antipoderos uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Anthony Hopkins um, came in afterwards and Anthony Hopkins for some reason made a beeline for me I was not prepared mm-hmm. at all came straight up to me said hello my name's Anthony what's yours and I just my my mouth went immediately (laughs) dry (laughs) and pasty you know and you can't say anything and you feel disgusting Uh one of those moments Uh and my and my teacup was rattling in the saucer because I was so nervous it was just and I was just shaking and I shook his hand and and he had these incredible blue eyes huge massive hands you know I'm, I'm looking at him thinking i'm shaking hands with hannibal lecter right yeah. you know um and i just you know fumbled i just 
she really with a really dry mouth. I said, "Well, I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was great. You know, I'm stuttering, 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 because mm-hmm. he caught me completely unaware." Mm-hmm. But my point here is, is that he made a point of going around every single person in the room mm-hmm. and chatting with them about mm-hmm. about the film, what they thought about it. The other, the other two did not. Catherine Cedar Jones did not. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. stood in the corner on mm-hmm. her own, eating a shortbread or something. But. <laughs> So that's a, so that was a really nice experience. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Apart from I messed it up, I think yeah. I think I've been more prepared. And you'd gone to somebody first. Uh-huh. I I wouldn't have had the dry mouth syndrome right. <laughs> and spit my shortbread all out all over him because that was embarrassing. That's funny. <laughs> what was the other quick part of that? Question? It was um, so funny or weird sales stories and then awkward moments um, or interesting personalities you've dealt with. Yeah, so I guess that's yeah. an awkward moment. Yeah, and sales stories. Yeah, many. I mean, many. <laughs> Many times, haven't been thrown out actually, but of a of a meeting or anything. Mm. But I've been shouted at many times, mm-hmm. many times. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I I imagine that you did not close the sales in those instances when you were most of the time. At. I was shouted at because of somebody on my team had upset that person. Mm, okay. Mm. That's not fun. And I've had to go in and repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, damage control. Damage control. Yeah. The next question that we have, and you've kind of covered a little bit with the um, the Daniel Pink book, but do you recommend any books, podcasts, or anything else that can help people hone their sales skills? That book in particular was good. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say you know put yourself on, find some courses. If your company's not going to sponsor you. Mm-hmm. And this is just sales. This is just generally right. So if your company's not going to sponsor you, try and do it yourself. Go, mm-hmm. go and educate yourself. Put yourself in in situations where you where you feel uncomfortable as well. Um, challenge yourself. Continue. Just keep learning. Mm-hmm. Would I recommend sales courses? Honestly, the bet if, if your company should provide them for you. Um, I put myself on a leadership course last year. At Haas Business School at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I um, remember that. You remember when mm-hmm. I went on that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It cost me a lot of money, but mm-hmm. unforgettable experience. I would seek, I mean, that's, you know, it was ex- very expensive, but mm-hmm. I would seek out some of those courses. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're not in leadership. If you want to be in leadership, go and look at those courses mm-hmm. as well. The other thing I would encourage people to do is join groups. Join, uh, I belong to Watermark, which is an executive women's leadership group based in Mm -hmm. the Bay Area. I went to an event of theirs last week, Mm -hmm. um, and they do a lot of um, training as well online. That sounds familiar, right? Watermark. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, a gal that we had on the show, I think Elizabeth Bachman, um, so she's a speaking coach, right? and I think she was at the Watermark conference last year. Okay. Yeah. As a speaker. As a speaker. Yeah, we were just like staring at each other like, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, this year, yeah, they have, um, I was at an event last week with them mm-hmm. at PayPal in, in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of this month, on the 21st, they have their conference, their annual conference. I couldn't get into the main conference. Serena Williams and Gloria Steinem are the keynotes this Whoa. year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So cool. yeah, so I would encourage people to, to do those book. Yeah, that book is very very good okay. as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, you've also maybe kind of touched on this from the wage gap comments, but mm. how is it working in a male dominated industry and dealing with international clients? Ooh, well, so the first part of that question, 
honestly, I you know has it got better? Uh, I maybe, maybe has it has got better. Actually, there's one statistic that I'll quote now at this conference at this event I went to last week, the Watermark one, where I think it was the Fortune top Fortune 100 companies, women in executive leadership roles. So there were more men by the name of John than all of women in executive roles. Wow. More men by the name mm-hmm. of John. I, I took away that, that statistic from the event last week. And then, mm-hmm. so it was John, then all women, <clears throat> and then David, and then William, and then the men. Wow. And the drop, the, the one, the another statistic from, from this event was, was that when women and men enter the job market, it's 50-50. As they go through that journey both of them in, uh, in their careers, in their professional life, mm-hmm. as they get to that executive position, the drop-off is significant. And that's, you know, when you get into management and an executive, then the gap gets gets smaller for women. Mm-hmm. And they were saying there are reasons why, and some of that is around the way that we are as women, the way that we interact in a professional environment versus men. Women tend not to ask for things as mm. much, right? Mm-hmm. And if they do, they're seen as bossy or they're seen as, you know, like catty or, or whatever mm-hmm. or queen bee. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case all the time. So it's still hard. And, mm-hmm. and, and I was campaigning for it's only pictures I said to you earlier. You know, I, I always said to my boss, John, why am I not? His name was John. His name was John, actually. <laughs> Funny enough. Uh-huh. Funny enough, his name was John. John did try and, try and reduce that gap, that pay gap, between mm-hmm. myself and my male counterpart. And even up until last year at my present company, I had the same conversation. Can you believe that? Mm. So there I was... You know, in the ni- in 1992, having that conversation with John, my boss, and uh, in December, Jan- November, December last year of 2018, I'm having the exact same conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And you know, I, I it it just flabbergasts me that it that it hasn't changed it more significantly mm-hmm. over the last three decades yeah so as so as someone in your um position because you you oversee a really large team of people so do you kind of make an effort to identify when something like that is happening because i imagine you are like a hiring manager most of the time and i know that like for me personally like i'm the type of person who negotiates and you know like asks for more but like i know that when I'm hiring someone that, like, I, I, in my mind, I expect them to negotiate, and sometimes they don't. But you can't say, like, hey, you should ask me for more money. So it's like a, it's a, but it's a, like a combination of, like, I, I, I'm bringing this person in at, at a respectable rate, regardless of their, um, their gender. Yeah. But, like, I, I, I do think that, like, some uh, women, for example, don't ask for more money, which we, we all need to do. Yes, we do. Because, yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's been written about constantly that but that's what men do. And then men apply for jobs they're not even qualified for most of the time. 
right. <laughs> and get them. Right. So do you, do you, as a leader of a large group of people, kind of like keep an eye out for um, opportunities to fix the wage gap? Um, honestly, I haven't done enough. I mean, okay. I, yeah, outside of, mm. of my, um, actually all, the, all my direct salespeople are guys, funny enough. Mm. I have tried to influence women that are not in, in sales at uh, the current company I work for and previously, yes, mm-hmm. and advising them to to push harder. Yeah. You know, my 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 most recent experience, like I said, last year, I actually found myself doing a, the very same same thing. I I was offered promotion but they wanted to decrease my salary significantly, give me less for a bigger role hmm. in the company. And when I tell that story and consequently I'm leaving as a result. Mm. But mm. when I tell that story to people outside, the reaction is, for men and women, is if that was a man, first of all, they would never, they would, that conversation would never have happened. If you were a guy, that conversation would never have happened. I didn't make it about money. Mm-hmm. And actually I wasn't asking for more either. I actually asked for the same. Mm. Not the same as what I'm being paid now. Not more. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I, left that day and I said don't pay me more pay me the same I thought I just got, I've just gone and done the woman thing again mm. first of all I don't think if I was a man it would have happened and and second of all um, if I was a man he would have said I want more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I kind of kicked myself saying why, did, why, didn't I, why didn't I act like a guy well I'm not a guy it's very different for me to act like a guy but yeah. a, a guy would have asked for more mm-hmm. for a bigger role right so there, you know, with me out even knowing, I start, I acted like a, a woman. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, subconsciously we've got to change that somehow. Yeah, we yeah. really do. Mm-hmm. And and you don't have to be queen bee, and you don't mm-hmm. have to be a, a bitch. We don't have right. to be bossy. Mm-hmm. You just have to make those changes. Yep. What have you got to lose? I mean, exactly. Yeah. So do you have any comments on you know your experience dealing with international clients? Yeah, I do actually. Um, talking about Tokyo being my favorite office, so mm-hmm. that um, that region was headed up by this guy who's since retired. By the way, I don't know if you know, but there's a statutory retirement age in, in Japan of sixty two. No, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you have to retire at sixty two, so you wow. leave the workforce at sixty two. Mm-hmm. Incredible. It is, but I imagine by that, t- I mean. Because I know they work really hard. They like work the salary men. I've seen. I've been to Tokyo once, and I saw many men falling asleep at McDonald's. <laughs> just you know, <laughs> really? or just at the sushi bar. Like yeah. one moment we're talking, the next moment their head they is work, down. Yeah, yeah. It's they work it's, very hard. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah, um, but they retire at sixty-two. Mm-hmm. They go on to drive taxis and stuff. But anyway, so mm-hmm. so the head of Japan at the time, Nakusan, whose name. He, uh, there was a couple of experiences with him when I first went to Japan, the Japan, the Tokyo office to meet the team there. Mm-hmm. It was almost, almost like a mafia moment. They, 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 Hinagosan and his team, his leadership team, asked me for a meeting, and I sat in this meeting surrounded by all his male executives and himself. And mm-hmm. because I wanted to hire one of their salespeople that worked in a different division of the company, Takeshi, and I took me two years but I got my mm. way it took me two years to hire him internally wow two years to get him uh-huh. on my team it was crazy and it was like a mafia moment mm. 
it was lit and I and I sat there and I've had those moments before actually so luckily I was able to to handle it mm-hmm. and I thought here I am again in this moment where they're trying to intimidate me mm. and it was obvious they were trying to intimidate me very very obvious um and that was one occasion and then the second occasion was uh, again with the same gentleman the Garsan where he, um, we were meeting him, myself and the CEO of Mark Monitor at the time, Mark Frost, and we were meeting him for dinner. And we were meeting him in a hotel, lobby area. So we went up, both of us went up to meet him. And we went, hi, walked up. Um, he shook Mark Frost's hand and refused to shake my hand. Hmm. So, you know, those, yeah, those moments uh-huh. happen. And... And that was a couple of years ago. So you have to, you know, you have to keep your cool, um, you know, react appropriately and and just sort of push through it, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a very sexist environment, though. Mm-hmm. Very sexist. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, obviously, but it's also, like, surprising to hear that that happens in such a metropolitan kind of place. Yeah. Even though, I mean, it is a different country, and I know that that happens probably here too, but that's that's really disappointing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very disappointing. Mm-hmm. I, I got my own back later in the evening where I ordered a glass of wine, a glass of Sauterne, sort of sweet wine, for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, was it enjoyable? It was, because <laughs> okay, I didn't share it. Yeah. Great. If you want one, you can order it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, dealing with ways, or speaking of ways to deal with um, the wage gap, this next question is, what is your favorite sparkling wine? <laughs> That's related. I... <laughs> oh, because it pays for the sparkling wine? Oh, no, because it helps you cope with, oh. um, you know, the sexism in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, actually, there's one, there's one, there's one, um, again, I spoke about last year, my experience about weight, about salary and, and position and as a woman in, uh, and I was the first vice president of the company outside of HR, by the way, female vice president, mm-hmm. HR, yeah, and marketing, yeah. which is a bit, um, a bit of a shame. What do I drink? Uh, my favorite champagne is Runart, R-U-I-N-A-R-T. Okay. It's, uh... Champagne, as in France, is their okay. oldest champagne house. Wow. Okay. Oh, no, that's my favorite. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is it the kind of um, champagne where they... they? Because um, I know sparkling wines in general, they typically don't claim a vintage because it's like... Mm. It's just like the way the process works. So is this... Is Runart... Do they um, do they have vintages of their champagne? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, because it's probably super fancy. It, it's, <laughs> it sounds fancy. It is super fancy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Yes, uh-huh. they that's do. Great. And they only export thirty percent of it. Okay. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. So most okay. of it, seventy percent, stays in stays in France, and they sell it in Tokyo, which is one of one of my reasons why I love going to Tokyo. <laughs> I, mean, I love going to Tokyo anyway because uh-huh. I like. Um, I yeah. just love. It's, one of my, it's my my favorite office mm-hmm. for work for the company I work for right now. My mm-hmm. favorite office, the people, everything about it. Yeah. But you can buy Runart in Japan, which I was shocked about. That's so cool. Do you have like yeah. reserve bottles at your house? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good job. That's Don Runart. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, the last listener question that we have is: If you weren't working in your current role. What other types would you, of work would you be interested in? I've had, I mean, I, I love what I do, honestly. 
I wouldn't change it for the world. But if I, if I, yeah, if I could have a second career, what would it be? You know what? You know what? I would be. It's going to sound a little bit nuts, but I'd be a photojournalist in a war zone. Mm. Mm-hmm. I would like to document something, you know, like Syria or mm-hmm. Yemen or somewhere like that where where you are the you're showing the world, you know, you're kind of that that mm. uh, communicator of what's happening in these very troubled times that we're in and the reason mm. why these people are leaving those countries. Yeah. Yeah, I would I, that's what I would like to do, to mm-hmm. be that kind of the voice for those people. Someone's got to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a very interesting film being released next week called A Private to War. It's about Marie Colvin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who she died when she was 56 right and she mm-hmm. did exactly that she's like mm-hmm. somebody has to tell this story yeah. and she wasn't a photojournalist but she was a journalist for Sunday mm-hmm. Times I mean crazy life right but if you don't have those if you don't have those people then how are those stories ever told yep. I don't think they are told mm-hmm. I think we all ha- uh, make a judgement on why these people are leaving those countries we all do you know we mm-hmm. make a judgement it's probably a wrong judgement of why they are leaving those countries. And I right. think for them to be able to have somebody that can communicate why they want to leave and come to America or go to Europe or wherever, I think that's a very important story to be told. Yeah. I'd also like to be an award-winning photographer, but I might have to, might have, to have three lives for yeah. that one. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens in the coming months during yeah, your you know your new free time yeah. until your next... Uh, your next uh, career or you know whatever (laughs) the best is yet to come yes (laughs) well this is also like a relevant question to right now but i like to ask my guests what they're looking forward to this week (laughs) leaving my job (laughs) so that's probably a big one (laughs) yeah it's actually very emotional too i mean seven and a half years you know leaving behind a, a lot of incredible people on the piracy team um is tough you know it's like family you know we've yeah. become like family so so it's 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 it, that's part sad but i'm also feel really excited i've got a spring in my step mm-hmm. which i haven't had for a long time you know i wake up every morning thinking wow it's fresh new day it's scary yeah mm-hmm. i've never i've never not worked since i was 16 this is the first time in my whole life since mm-hmm. i was a kid that i haven't worked so that's scary but also mm-hmm. exciting to to make this leap, this jump into the next phase of my life, which is going to be the best. Yeah, I feel that for mm-hmm. sure. Well, do you have? You've already plugged a lot of things, but do you have anything you would like to plug, or any resources you would like to share, or even maybe your Instagram account? Yeah, <laughs> I know you're very private. I am. Yeah, <laughs> this is my photography Instagram. So I okay. don't mind. Yeah, and I've only just started to use because on this workshop in India, you know, they said you've got Instagram, so we can see your work. I'm like, no, I don't, and. I hate social media, but yeah, so my Instagram, just for my photography, and it's kind of, I've just started putting my images on there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Denver Photo 65 Okay. for for my photographs, and I'm gradually adding adding to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where all my stuff is. Actually, and there's a link on there to my website too. Oh, you have a website? Yeah. Excellent. There's a link on there to my website too. Okay, yeah. we'll add all of the um, the links to the episode page. Okay. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great salad. Thank you. (laughs) Glad you liked it. 
Well, to learn more about Terry's work and other topics we've covered on this episode, head over to our website, brilliantbabespodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was winter pear and manchango salad. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.